Today on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from David, a keen runner who suffered a life-changing stroke just after finishing a 10k cross-country race. I'll put a question to you. Is Do you ever wake up in the morning and think, I'm well today? Because every morning I wake up, I know and I think, I've got a stroke. How is my stroke going to affect me today? That's every morning. You know, you deal with something that is going to be there always. From the British Heart Foundation, I'm Molly Tresiden, and on the ticker tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory conditions. On this episode, David talks to me about getting back into running, coping with depression after a stroke, and why he wants you to remember the acronym Be Fast. David, could we start with you taking us back to 2016, um, to the day of the cross-country race when you had your stroke? Yeah, almost five years ago now. Um, started to take up running really as a way to keep healthy. And I did enter a, a few races from time to time, but I thought I would go for this uh, cross-country race. I, I really wanted to uh, do a, a 10K in under one hour uh, in a cross-country. So that was what I wanted to do. So it was um, quite a hilly course and it was quite muddy. And as I was coming to uh, towards the finish, I looked at my watch and thought, do you know, I'm not going to make it under the hour, but I'm incredibly focused about things so I thought well what will I do and I decided right I've got to speed up so I sprinted up the last probably half a mile really quite quickly up a steep hill and finished in actually 59 minutes 58 seconds which obviously I was really delighted about I knew I pushed really really hard and I wasn't feeling particularly good afterwards but I didn't really think anything was wrong at all so I rested for 10, 15 minutes and, and then drove home. And about, oh, I don't know, about 20 minutes after I got home, I um, was in my kitchen and I lost my vision. Everything went fuzzy. I couldn't see anything. Everyone, everything was blurred and I felt really odd. So my head was sort of swimming. So I sat down and after a few minutes, my vision cleared um, and actually, I thought I was left with the visual effects of a migraine. You know, I'd had migraines um, over the years, and I do get this visual impact of migraines. So I just thought it was a very sudden migraine. And I have to admit, I, I was still feeling odd, but I just didn't think anything was wrong at all. So I didn't do anything. I didn't tell my wife. I just carried on as normal. And then probably about three or four hours later, I actually realized that the bit I was seeing wasn't actually a bit from a migraine. I actually couldn't see anything to my left at all. So I, I said it, told, told my wife about this and we phoned the 111, NHS Direct, and they arranged for me to have an appointment at the out-of-hours doctor. So another hour or so went past before we saw them. After about five minutes, he just took me straight round to A&E and I was admitted through there. So they gave me a, a, originally a CT scan, but that just showed that I hadn't got a bleed on the brain. But they then did an MRI scan subsequently and found that I'd had a stroke in two places in my brain. So one at the back of the brain, 
which cause the vision loss. And then the, there's a bit right in the center of the brain in a place called the thalamus, which uh, is just above the brain stem. And that there was some damage there as well. And that caused sort of all the other issues that I have. So that was that was the story of that day. I was really pleased to run in under an hour, but was less pleased to have had a stroke. But that that was that was the story of that day. It was it was a not my finest day. I would say that it was definitely not my finest day. And what was going through your mind that whole time while you were having the symptoms and, you know, going to the doctors, going to A&E? Well, when I was having the initially having the symptoms, I genuinely thought it was a migraine. And I think it's worth at this point mentioning the, you know, you see the adverts on television and they talk about fast face, arms, speech and time. Well, I didn't have any of those symptoms. You know, I could speak properly. My arms were fine. My face wasn't drooping. All those things were fine. But there's a massive number of people who have vision issues and also balance issues when they have strokes. So I actually didn't think I'd had a stroke. But so I always advocate the the phrase be fast with B being balance and E being eyesight. I don't know whether I'd have done something different if I'd have known that eyesight was a a, a symptom of stroke, but maybe I would have done. Mm. But generally during that time, I was I wasn't that concerned when I thought I just had a migraine. I genuinely thought that it would get better. I I, I know my head was feeling weird. but I think one of those things about stroke is you've you've just your brain's just been damaged. It's just been attacked by a blood clot, and you're not thinking straight. So I think part of the reason I didn't do anything was because I'd had a stroke and I wasn't thinking properly. So I actually wasn't that fussed. And even when I had realised I couldn't see anything at all to my left, yes, I was a bit more anxious. But I, I genuinely thought I'd got you know, something wrong with my eye. I've just thought maybe a detached retina or, you know, some other thing. I, I never ever believed it could be something as serious as a stroke. And I think the first time I was concerned was when the out of hours doctor, when he, he honestly, he, he asked me about two or three questions and said, you're going to go straight round to A&E. This could be a stroke. I think that was the first time I was anxious. Mm-hmm. And... I actually, I, I was actually given the choice then whether to stay in overnight or to go home and then come back for the MRI. They knew I was stable because they'd done the CT, so they weren't worried unduly. They didn't think I was going; it was going to be a major issue if I went home. So I did go home, and that night I, I didn't sleep. I have to say it was it was very scary. You know, you actually don't know if you're going to die you know that honestly that's the sort of thought that goes through your head mm. you know when someone tells you that you you've had a stroke or you might have had a stroke it is incredibly stressful and worrying and probably just as likely to make you have another stroke because of all the stress and worry so I didn't sleep too well that night um, and when I was told well, after the MRI I was told that I'd, I'd had the stroke it was it was upsetting. Yes, it was upsetting. Uh, I can't hide from that. Um, um, I didn't didn't know what the future would hold. I didn't know what the risks of another stroke would be. You know, I honestly didn't know whether I'm 
you know, whether I would have another stroke in, you know, a few hours or a few days or a few weeks. I just didn't know at that point. So the whole whole process is incredibly stressful about worrying about um, what the future holds. It's, it is very concerning, but yeah. So you were there, you've been sent home from hospital and told you've had a stroke and you're there in your home the next day. What what happened from there? Well, well, I was told that I might have had a stroke and I had to go back the next day for the MRI, which then confirmed it. I see. Um, so I went back f- for the MRI and that, that obviously confirmed the stroke. I then was basically sent home um, with... Uh, whole load of new drugs and uh, with the out of not the out of hours the early supported discharge team would be coming to see me over a period of six weeks to talk about rehabilitation and all the things that I needed over the coming and what I needed to do and that whole process is again that's quite a worrying process the first week in particular is quite difficult because that week is really about finding out where you've got weaknesses, where you have difficulties. And the things that I, I, I mean, as well as the vision, so I'm, I'm, I've permanently got a 40% loss of vision to my left. I have impaired executive function, which means I have problems processing more than one thought at a time. So that's quite difficult. Cognitive problems, I mem- memory, I, there's bits of my life I just don't remember anymore, which I suppose doesn't bother me too much because if you've forgotten them, you don't know about them. So what's the deal? I have aphasia, which, again, is this problems finding words. Uh, I do sometimes that is definitely can be worse on some days. There are some days where I, I can't talk properly. I really can't find any words. Um, and that, that can be quite stressful. So in the first week, they're trying to explore what's wrong with you. And mm-hmm. I have to admit, I found that particularly difficult. Um, I, I'll relate one experience. A, 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 a one therapist came along and asked me to do some maths. OK, some quite simple maths. Now, I did a maths degree. I love maths. I've been an accountant for 30 years. This was my bread and butter. But I really struggled doing it. So it was was a real struggle for me to try to do. And that was the first time I really tried to do something like that. And I actually got all the questions right, but it took me a long time. Mm-hmm. And the therapist said to me, do you know, that's brilliant. No one's ever got them all right before. And actually, I cried because it was, to me, although she thought I'd done well, to me, it was an abject failure because those sums would, something, would be something normally I would do in an instant and mm. I was having to think and I was having to write it down and work things out but it's about perceptions about what was what was good performance compared to what I was like mm, because there's no hard and fast rule for recovery is there every every person who has a stroke will be different yeah I mean I was someone told me once once you've seen one stroke you've seen one stroke you know it's as simple as that every every single person's stroke is unique to them and also how they react to it, you know, and, and mm. how I, I always like to think I've got a positive spin to things. So I'm always very focused and, and target driven and I don't like being beaten. And 
to me, my stroke is like this thing inside of me that's trying to beat me all the time. And my job every day when I wake up is to make sure I beat the stroke. This this sort of like almost like living entity inside me that is this stroke. It tries to, you know, it tries to, I mean, it tried to kill me one day, you know, um, and I, I try and beat it every day. So and like I say, generally, most days I, I'm winning. But on bad days, you know, the stroke is saying, hey, I'm still here. You know, you're, you're not going to get away with all these good days for too long you know I'm, I'm gonna push you back a bit here so it is a little it is a constant battle um which i suppose it has got better over time and i think that's that's always the thing that i'm i'm focusing on is you know recovery is a difficult thing um i don't think i mean people say that you know after a year it's you know what you're left with is what you always have and I don't particularly subscribe to that. I think you, you have gains that happen very, very incrementally and you, you probably don't even notice them. It is slow progress, but I, I don't ever think I've stopped recovering. Hmm. You know, I don't I don't accept that the person here now will be the same person in a year's time. That person will be better because I am going to strive for improvement um however hard that might be um, and what did your recovery look like after you'd had that week of sort of establishing what had happened i th- I, th- I think a lot of people thought that the vision loss would be the biggest issue for me i mean i'm no longer able to drive i, I can't see well enough to drive and that's a massive loss of independence but to be honest i've always considered that to be the least of my worries you know i i've learned to scan better so i i look around my environment more i look for hazards i look to make sure that i'm safe uh, and that's more so if i'm in a newer environment obviously if i'm around home i'm more familiar but i'm used to bumping into things you know it's it's just one of those things that happen but the other thing, the recovery in terms of the other th- issues, I, I think actually you end up dealing with it. I mean, for example, the aphasia. So I might be trying to find a particular word and that can be quite difficult. So what I try and do is think, well, I don't have to use that word. Is there another word that will do? And it, I, I mean, I don't know whether I've done it so far in this that you might find I, I, I pause and I struggle for a bit um, and come up with a word. Well, it actually probably isn't the word I was trying for, but I've learned that I can accept this other word. So whereas early on, I wouldn't accept that I couldn't find the word. So I would struggle a lot more. So it's mm-hmm. about adaption more necessarily more than necessary recovery. I mean, in terms of Things around executive function, um, those those sorts of things, and memory. I, I always try and do lots of lists and break tasks down into different lists, so that I can um, I can follow a, a routine. I can follow this list, and I can see that I've done this, I've done that, I've done that. And I did a lot of cookery. What's it called? Um, cakes and baking. Um, did quite a lot of baking. Um, mm. And 
you had uh, the cognitive issues, but physically you were still okay. And you decided to get back into running after the stroke. I did, yes. I think that's really is back to this thing about this stroke being this living part of me and about me turning around and saying, well, look, you, you tried to kill me after a run. I'm, 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 why should I stop? You're not going to beat me in this. So for me, it was it, initially it was about getting back and beating that stroke. And, and I think the first time I used to do uh, before my stroke, I was a regular at park run. So I started doing that again. And the first time I honestly, it was uh, the first time I ran was probably, I don't know, eight, 10 weeks after my stroke. And to be honest, it was a mistake because uh, it honestly, I was awful for the for, for about four or five days afterwards. But the one thing about it was when I got towards the end, all my park run friends were standing there clapping me in. And honestly, that was just an absolute precious moment for me. You know, there was these people who I'd met doing park run and there I was coming in 35, 40 minutes, which was, for me, was quite a bit slower than I used to do. But they were there, they'd hung around and waited for me to come in. I had a guide for that as well. But for me, it was all about getting back to try and be the same person I was. So, for example, I, I ran the same race I had my stroke at that a year later. I, 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 that was a target for me. Um, so I did that. And I actually did it a minute quicker than I did it the previous year, which, again, that was something something to be proud of, something to say, well, actually, stroke, you haven't beaten me. Mm. Um, um, so I do love my running. I, I run a lot. I ran the London Marathon in 2019 um which was an amazing experience and you know having having a guide runner having past visually impaired and having a guide runner the crowd can see that you got a guide runner and honestly they just it i know they cheer everyone but it just felt like they were cheering for me and it mm. was just a, a, a just a special experience so yeah must have been a pretty incredible moment crossing the finish line of the London Marathon. How many yeah, years after you'd had the stroke? Uh, yeah, that was about right. Yes, um, yes, it was. I mean, it was um, it's an experience. I don't think people can, unless you do the London Marathon, you don't really know what you you can't really expect to know what it's like. And everyone's experience of the London Marathon would be different. Mine just felt just so special. It was just this, it almost felt like I, I, I could turn around and say, well, look, I'm, I am, I am well. I am well enough to run 26.2 miles. Um, you know, I can do this. You know, it's not, it's not something that I failed at. Failure is not something that I accept. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I always will try my, absolute hardest to achieve what I set out to do um and doing the London Marathon and hearing people running up the mall honestly it's like oh you just something you you can hardly ever expect to experience I mean I have to admit that, that my favorite experience was crossing Tower Bridge because they see the people can see it's quite narrow there and there's people both sides and people saw me 
running along obviously with a guide runner and I actually picked up an injury so I was limping a bit at that point as well and they started chanting my name and as one Mm. person stopped the next one picked up so the whole way across London Tower Bridge all I could hear was my name David David being chanted and you know I've you know it's nothing like it absolutely nothing like it amazing experience yeah, that's absolutely incredible. <laughs> Can't even imagine what that would be like having never run a marathon. And that was your first marathon as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was my first marathon. I ran quite a few half marathons. Um, I'm actually running the virtual London marathon this year as well. Uh, I didn't get into the main one, unfortunately, but I will be running the, the virtual one this year, uh, which will be, yeah, which will be good. <laughs> and you're currently partway through a challenge to run the entire length of Route 66. I think you said that's last right. Time I am. Yes. So it's, it's not um, it's 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 not just recorded runs. So it's every pay, every step I do in a day. So it basically is based around uh, the miles you do just walking around uh, walks, runs, things like that. So, yeah. So um, I've just hit a thousand miles for the year so far. So, and how many is will it be in total? 2,278. Oh, you're well on the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I find running is really good for my mental health. I mean, and that's one thing I, I, I will, would touch, haven't touched on it yet. But one of the things that I did suffer from quite a lot with um, after my stroke was depression. It's something that I guess it's a bit of a, it still is a bit of a taboo subject. I mean, the people are more open to talking about it these days than they used to be. But I still find, it, you know, people do find it difficult. But um, I, don't, I think particularly amongst young survivors, and, and I still count as a young survivor. Um, um, yeah, because you were only 52 when you had the stroke. That's right? correct. I was yeah. 52 when I had the stroke. Um, so that counts as a young, it's nice to be young at something now. Um, <laughs> so I I was considered young to have a stroke. And amongst young survivors, I think it's about sort of 50, 60% of those people will get some form of depression. Mm. Um, and I really struggled. It was very hard. I, I, it, it was, um, it first really came when I was sitting in the doctor's surgery early one morning and I just, everything just got too much for me. And I just started crying in the doctor's surgery. Um, and my GP is fantastic. He's really good. And he, um, he, he's helped me a lot, um, which is great. So, uh, and I have struggled with depression. It's not not an easy thing to do um, is to deal with um, all the changes, because what I what, you know, up until that point, you know, like 52 isn't any age at all, really, to start thinking, actually, is my life over now? You know, w- what does the future hold? Will I be able to work? You know, will I be able to do all the things that I w- want to do? And, you know, it does get a bit much. And I did struggle for quite a while um, with depression and I I still do, you know, I still have good days and I still have bad days. Um, And but I I think it's important that people understand that it's not. It's not just about being sad, it's more than being sad is just the wrong way to describe it. it. It's a feeling that you just can't explain that nothing ever seems to get better you you've you know every, every single at every single turn there's something that brings you down 
you know, it might be simple things like one of the things that really got me down was when I got a free bus pass, you know, um, because I'm visually impaired. I actually I actually qualify for a free bus pass. And when it came, I just thought, I'm only 52. I'm not old enough to have a bus pass. And mm -hmm. it's things like that. Just it might sound really trivial, but it just adds to this feeling of actually you know, life isn't going to get better. Life isn't going to get better. And it is really tough. And that is hard to deal with. Um, and yeah, I'm, I, 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 I have to say I'm better than I was. Uh, but even now I, I have good and bad days. Because mm. a stroke is in some ways it's so strange because there aren't that many things that can change your life overnight like that. No, that's true. A stroke the definition of a stroke is where you have permanent, effectively, you've had some sort of permanent damage to your brain and your brain will not recover. And you, some people are fortunate and, and, and will recover almost fully or maybe totally fully. I don't know. But most people every morning, I, I, I put a question to you is, do you ever wake up in the morning and think I'm well today? Because. Every morning I wake up, I know and I think I've got a stroke. I've, how is my stroke going to affect me today? Yeah. So that's every morning. You know, you deal with something that is is going to be there always. And yeah. um, so it is. stroke is, is not something to be taken lightly. Yeah. So, I mean, stroke is 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 a tough I wouldn't wish a stroke on anyone I really wouldn't you know it it's the single most scary thing that's ever happened to me you know I I still think about that day it's uh in how many in I don't know about three weeks time it'll be my fifth anniversary of my stroke and that that's for me that's a really important uh occasion for me occasion I'm not sure the right word um so um I'm what am I going to do to celebrate? Well, I'm going to run a half marathon with my running buddy friends. That's that's my plan to, to do that, just to celebrate that, hey, my stroke, you tried to beat me, but here I am five years later and I'm going to run a half marathon. So, <laughs> and do it quicker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be the plan, yeah. <laughs> and do you think as well, you know, you, you were very young to have a stroke and do you think that it's difficult as well because there are misconceptions around around that still that people don't tend to think of younger people having a stroke. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very true. I think I actually think it's possibly slightly true, even in the medical profession, that it's almost well, you're too young to have a stroke. Uh, I, I'm not that that's probably being a bit unfair, but um, I have heard stories where people have had stroke and they weren't believed by uh, the you know the doctors. Was was saying, you know, no, you haven't. You not that you haven't had a stroke, but, but we're saying it's something different. Um, there is a perception that stroke happened to older people, and I have to confess, before I had my stroke, that's exactly what I thought. Mm. You know, I, I honestly believe that, um, you know, stroke didn't happen to young people. Um, and I think the one thing that I, I I've always been really open about my stroke. I always talked to people about it 
Um, I always explain. So if, for example, I'm struggling with something and, and uh, I have to explain myself to to a person, I always explain Look, I've had a, I've had a stroke. Um, and and if they're interested and ask about it, then I will tell them, because I think, honestly, the, the, the best way if I go back to that day, if someone had said, David, do you think you might have had a stroke? I might have done something different. I might have done something different. You know, if I'd have gone to the hospital four hours earlier, you know, I potentially could have had clot busting, clot, clot busting drugs. But I was way too late for that. So I don't I don't wallow in that as a, a bad decision. You know, given the circumstances, exactly the same thing. I would have done exactly the same thing again. But I think people need to understand that it is wider than just old people. Mm. Um, you know, I was 52. You know, I, when I was on uh, about about four months after my stroke, I I they thought I'd had another stroke. So I, I actually was admitted that time um, onto the stroke ward. And I was the youngest on the stroke ward by about 20 years. And that was really depressing when you see all these people who I was the same as or similar to in the same position. And that's quite that is can be quite distressing. Um but I, you know, so I will always tell people, you know, just because you're young don't, doesn't mean you, you're not immune from stroke. So I, I think it's an important message. Mm. And you um, went back to work after the stroke, is that right? Yes, I did. Um, I, I, I did have a, a, a quite a long rehabilitation place um, in a stroke rehab um, outpatient facility not far from here which was great and that helped me um, but it took about 11 months to go back um, I had a quite a long phase return and eventually I, I changed my job I did a lot uh, I used to be in a, quite a senior role in, in, a, in, hospital, in a hospital finance team and now I'm a, a, a lot lower grey doing a lot more simpler tasks and I can only work three days a week now I do have really bad fatigue and particularly if I've been concentrating hard that cognitive effort exhausts me so I do find working even now really hard I, I don't think I could do more than three days a week it is just so wearing but I'm very very fortunate my I work for the NHS my local health trust and been so supportive they've really helped me can you describe what that fatigue feels like? Because I imagine most people, when they think of fatigue, kind of just think of being a bit tired or sleepy. But uh, cognitive yeah. fatigue is quite different to that, isn't it? Yes, it is really difficult. I mean, I, I, one frustration I, I do get is when people say, oh, do you know, I am so fatigued. I'm so tired. I honestly, I, well, I mean, I don't know what they're going through. I, that, that is, I'm, I'm being a bit judgmental here. Fatigue and the fatigue that I suffer is—it's all encompassing. I, I can't do anything, so it—it—it, it, it, you know, I wouldn't be able to talk. So one of the first thing that seems to shut down when I get tired is my ability to talk. So even it, you talking to me, I wouldn't be able to respond properly because I get—I—I I, honestly, it's like this feeling inside that you're absolutely drained and. Every single thing you do, whether you lift your arm you, or even you try and think about something, 
or even if you try and watch something on television, it's just all pervasive. It is just, it's just, it's like nothing you've ever experienced. I mean, I used to say I got tired. I mean, I'm I'm a type two diabetic and I did find that I was very tired with that. But to be honest, that was a doddle in comparison to, to the mental and cognitive fatigue and that I now suffer. And that is it is quite debilitating. I, I know for some sometimes, I, you know, I might want to go for a run, but I can wake up and be in this chronic state of fatigue. And no, I can't. I, it's not even safe for me to walk out the door. You know, I do silly things all the time, um, even now. A couple of weeks ago, I ran in front of a lorry because I, w- I wasn't focusing properly. I was tired. I was running and I got a bit I was getting my cognitive function was starting to struggle. And I just didn't think properly and ran across the road in front of a lorry. So it has it has an important impact. That's sort of fatigue. And it does vary. So, you know, that day, although I was tired, I wasn't so tired I couldn't do anything but I was just that bit tired and it, my cognitive function was starting to almost like shut down so I just mm. became unaware of what was around me so yeah I do find the fatigue can massively impact on my day and I know if I've done if I've been exceedingly busy doing something so so say for example today I'm obviously I'm doing this podcast I know tomorrow I, I will struggle tomorrow because I'm having to focus a lot and think a lot as part of this doing this. This is not this is not um, just another part of my day that I can sort of say, oh, that's over with on to the next thing. This podcast will tire me out cognitively. And so I, I already know that tomorrow I'm going to have to take things a bit easier uh, and just be careful and make sure I'm not having to do things that do require a lot of thinking so yeah the fatigue is um yeah the fatigue can be difficult at times and again that that feeds into the depression as well because you're just feeling so tired you think oh this is just so bad what you know what can I do to get out of this I wish I wasn't so tired I wish I could get motivated and it's it's not like physical tiredness so it's not that my legs are tired or do you know what I mean? It's not, and it's not even sleepy tiredness. It's just this all pervasive weakness that you just can't do anything with and you can't do anything. Um, and it's tough. Hmm. And what do you find yourself doing when you, when you feel that fatigue? Uh, nothing, nothing. Uh, I can't do anything. I'll, hmm. I'll sit in the chair. I won't watch television. I might put some music on in the background but I can't do it. I, I, I and I, I wouldn't be able to have a conversation. I do do remember I went to see a went to a concert with some friends. Um, we stayed overnight at a hotel, and I loved the concert. It was really good. Uh, I was very much into it. I, you know, amazing concert. But the next morning, I was so fatigued. I couldn't. I couldn't talk, and I think it shocked them the difference between the day before when I was really quite bright and bubbly to a person who really couldn't get any words out properly. And I I think it was quite disturbing for them to see the impact that that had on me. It's just the simple act of 
going to a concert and the, the drain that that caused on my cognitive abilities, so much so that I wasn't even able to speak. And I think they found that quite uh, distressing. And it can be, it can be. I remember the first time my daughter had seen, saw me after, it was probably about a week after my stroke, they, they, both my children live away and my daughter came back. And I remember I was in the kitchen, I was, I think I was carving chicken or, you know, most, and I was struggling to talk. And I turned around and she was crying. And that was hard. It's hard to see the impact on other people. So that was quite difficult to see, I have to say. Um, but um, yeah, I think sometimes you don't quite appreciate the impact it can have on other people. Um, it does affect everyone. I think stroke happens not just to the person, but it happens to the whole family. You know, my wife and children have all suffered because I've had a stroke. Um, that's difficult. That's difficult. Um, I don't like the fact that they, the incident with my daughter, really, that did upset me a lot, I have to say, because it, I, 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 you know, when you're, when you're a parent, you're this <clears throat> strong person for your children. You know, your children look to you and think you're invincible. And all I could think of was my daughter was standing there looking at me thinking, you know, my dad's damaged, you know, my, will my dad get better? And that's, that's quite difficult to, to, to bear. It's quite hard to deal with. Yeah, it's like the first time they see you as being fallible. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're suddenly this, you've gone from this person who's invincible to a person who's weak. Um, and, and yeah, that, that, that's, yeah, they don't, they, they've never seen it before and, and they were seeing it then and it, they didn't like it. And trust me, I didn't like them seeing me like that as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but they they did things. They supported you. Um, they came and ran the same race with you the year after. They, didn't they? did. Yes, my um, children both ran the same race. Uh, I did. Um, my son's quite a lot quicker than <laughs> me, so he he shot off and <laughs> ten minutes before. But my daughter ran with me all the way. And one of the things I think quite I had this thing where um, if I'm starting to get tired when I'm running, I start to lose the ability to speak it's almost like this cognitive thing happens and it's so i have to, i i start to struggle to speak and i speak in almost gobbledygook i'm almost a made-up language and that happened during that race and that upset her but i i already told her what to do you know you know if that happens we slow down and i'll get better and that's exactly what happened so it was fine but uh yeah it was great to run with them you know, it was, um, yeah, it's a lovely experience. And it was nice to finish. Yeah. Uh, Beth, my daughter, Bethany, and I, we went over the finishing line holding hands. So that was nice. So, um, yeah, um, uh, uh, yeah, they did support me. Um, my mm -hmm. son ran the uh, London Marathon the same day as me as well, which was also very good. And would you have any advice or anything that you would say to somebody who finds themselves in a similar position? I, th I think the thing I would always say to anyone is just never give up. Um, it's, it's at times it is really easy to just throw the towel in and say, actually, I can't be done with this anymore. I'm, I'm just going to sit and do nothing because that's that's the easy thing to do. But I think I would say is never give up. Never, ever give up that you won't continue to recover. You know, it'll be tough. And, and for some people, 
for me, because I wasn't physically affected, I could still run and that's fine. So my running the marathon for someone else might be walking to the end of the street. You know, those are the sorts of marathons that other stroke survivors face. My my marathons are primarily about my cognitive thing, because that's the bit that's affected me most. So my own personal health marathon is around my cognitive function, whereas other people's, you know, challenge I would encourage them to do might be about getting to the end of the street, getting themselves dressed, might be reading a book. I, I can't read books anymore, which is a real loss to me. I love reading, but because of my cognitive problems, I can't hold a story. I so say I can't follow a story very easily, um, which is really hard because I love reading. I, I just can't keep the storylines in, in my mind. I've still got the book that I was reading the day I had my stroke next to my bed. You know, um, I think it serves as a little reminder, but um, mm. it's a shame that I, I don't. I, I do miss reading. That is one thing I do miss. But your main advice would be never give up. Never give up. Never give up. And I suppose that's probably why that book's at the end of my, uh, by the side of my bed. Maybe I'll pick it up one day and read it. But absolutely, it is to keep going. It's never, never give up, never give up hope. Always. I am an optimistic person, you know, maybe hope that's come over in this, this, this podcast. But, you know, I always believe that you've got to keep trying because you've got to be the best person you can possibly be, because then you'll be you, you'll be maybe happier in yourself. Maybe you'll feel more. Oh, stroke is a terrible thing to happen to anyone. I cannot emphasize that enough. I mean, it is it is simply awful to have had a stroke. So anything you can do that makes you feel better is a good thing. So it's never give up. Always continue to strive for recovery. Absolutely, the key things to do, and and actually, talk to people. You know, I've I've been very fortunate that I've been able to talk to um, fellow stroke survivors through various routes. Um, it's actually helpful to find people with the similar challenges, so you can share those experiences and share the triumphs and successes that you have, and also to share your failures because. Yes, okay, you've got you've got to focus on the triumphs, but there will be fa failures. You know, when I have a bad cognitive day, you know that feels like failure to me, but actually it isn't. I'm still here. I'm still alive. I'm still kicking, and I'm and I'm still positive. You know, I still honestly believe that I have so much more to do, so much more, so many more challenges to face. You know, and 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 actually conquer. Yeah. My running is one thing that is very important to me. I mean, I'm never going to be a great runner. I'm never going to be fast. But I absolutely know that if I didn't run, I would be in a worse place than I am. It, it, you know, it just keeps you going. David, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for, for sharing that with us and for your optimism. And best of luck for the rest of Route 66. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep trying. <laughs> Strokes cause around 36,000 deaths a year in the UK alone and are the single biggest cause of severe disability. The BHF currently funds £22 million of vital research to find new treatments and to improve the lives of people affected by stroke. David has kept a blog about his stroke, his recovery and his running. You can find a link to it in the episode notes. If you've got any questions about your heart or circulatory health, 
you can call the BHF's Heart Helpline and speak to a nurse between 9 and 5 on Mondays to Fridays on 0300-330-3311 or email hearthelpline at bhf.org.uk. Thank you for listening and join us next time on The Ticker Tapes. <laughs>